I want to take as my text this morning that reading from Paul's letter to Philippians. I think we've had a couple of messages in Philippians, and I think this might be the one who I send the sermon titles to is one nodding his head, yes. Philippians chapter 4, I want us to concentrate on verses 4 through 9. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1166. Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4, which I'd like us to read to get. Philippians chapter 4 and beginning at verse 4. The Apostle Paul, remember, is uh, under house arrest. He refers to being chained. He's chained to a Roman soldier, which would have been a normal uh, 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 under house arrest circumstance. They didn't have ankle bracelets back then. And so if you were under house arrest, this is sort of the way that it went. In fact, he wrote, by the way, Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians, and when he was referring to the armor of God, he had a Roman soldier sitting next to him with all the armor. But writing to the Philippians, he said to them, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say it, rejoice. This is a man waiting for trial. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him next. Maybe he's going to die. In fact, he talks about that in chapter 1. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. This morning I want to talk about four characteristics of a life dedicated to God. Four characteristics of a life dedicated to God. Now, as you know, many people are uh, interested in God. They find God interesting, the subject of religion. Uh, Many others perhaps find God useful. But people who are really dedicated to God in their lives, that's a little less common. And so what does it mean to be dedicated to God? And what does a dedicated life look like? Well, I'd like us to consider these four things, as I mentioned in the title, as they appear in our text. And the first is this, that those who are dedicated to God rejoice in God. (laughs) It's a key characteristic. Notice again, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. (laughs) And again I say rejoice. And when he said this, by the way, he wasn't telling the Philippian believers who were quite a ways away. In fact, he had to write a letter and send it. And they didn't have email, so they would have had to wait a while for it to be delivered by somebody carrying it. He wasn't telling the Philippians to do something he didn't do. In fact, it's interesting, this letter of Philippians talks more about joy than any other document that we have in the Old or New Testament. 
but he says, rejoice always, and again I say rejoice. It's interesting, I mean, rejoice in the Lord. It seems rather relational to me, not just an abstract thought as if the Lord wasn't there, but I'm just going to experience joy. I went to church one time where the worship leader said, come on, let's have a worship experience. I thought that was the lamest call to worship I think I've ever heard. <laughs> what is that? It's like the music and it's about me? Where's that? Where is God? And I was very happy that not too many weeks after that, I went to a service and... Uh, in fact, I think in the service, um, they, they quoted this. Uh, Psalm 16 and verse 11. In God's presence is fullness of joy, and in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Can you imagine? In God's presence is, the, is fullness of joy, and in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so it seems that in the presence of God there's joy, at least for those who know him. Maybe if you don't know him, maybe it's not such a joyful experience. But God, God himself is joy. The Trinity is joy. What is the fruit of the Spirit? I mean, that's number three, isn't it? Or is it number two? Number two, I'm getting nods. I'm so glad I got a congregation that reads the Bible, right? Um, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. We talk a lot about love. Where's the joy? Interesting. And so, um, and so in God's presence is joy. It seems awfully relational, and it seems that joy is an experience or a byproduct of our relationship with Him. And if you are having a relationship with God, and God is central, joy will be a central part of your experience. How could it not be if in His presence is fullness of joy? David Taylor, who used to be a member here, wrote a great book, I, he's written several books, this one in particular, just really great, Open and Unafraid, The Psalms as a Guide to Life. He teaches it fuller. But he said to be full of God is to be full of joy. <laughs> and then notice that Paul says not only rejoice in the Lord, but rejoice in the Lord always. Or as Peterson has it in the message, rejoice in the Lord all day, every day. <laughs> I like this because this is how I like to live. <laughs> and sometimes I get off track. But here is, I mean, this is, the, the apostle is calling us to this. To rejoice in God all day, every day. And so seemingly divine joy, as Paul is talking about it here, is a joy that finds its center in God, and it is a joy that transcends circumstances. It is not, we, that's what, we usually associate joy with circumstance. How's it going? Life is good. How come we don't say God is good? Well, because life is the place where we're looking to find what we need in order to experience joy. How's the job? How's the wife? How's the husband? How's the kids? How's the money? How's the vacation? These are the things that we look to to give us joy. And I'm not telling you not go on vacation. Go on vacation. Have a good time. But it's not enough, right? Because the vacation can't fill my God-shaped hole. Christine Kane in her book, Undaunted, which is one that we gave away to staff and ministry leaders in Vestry a year or so ago, she wrote this. She said, joy and happiness are not the same thing. Happiness is based on circumstance. Joy is based in God. 
Charles Swindoll in his book Laugh Again, which I, as I recall, I've read it many years ago and I wrote this down and had it in my, my file, but I think actually it's a, a bit of a commentary on the, the letter to the Philippians. He relays his story about Mother Teresa of Calcutta. He wrote, someone asked Mother Teresa what was required of anyone who might want to work alongside her in the grimy streets and narrow alleyways of Calcutta. And without hesitation, she mentioned two things. One, a willingness to work hard. And number two, a joyful attitude. <laughs> a joyful attitude. And so that's the first thing. Those who are dedicated to God rejoice in God. Secondly, those who are dedicated to God hope in God. Notice again verse 5. This is something interesting. It might kind of throw us off. We might not know exactly what he's talking about. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. Or as it, we have it in the New Living Translation, the Lord is coming soon. And that's definitely the point that Paul is making. And so Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Reasonableness in the English Standard Version is translated, this word is translated in different ways in different translations. Gentleness, uh, a forbearing spirit, moderation. The Greek is epiakia which describes a person who is humble, patient, and steadfast, especially in the face of injustice and suffering. And this very much relates to the next thing that the Apostle Paul says, and that is that the Lord is at hand. I was thinking that maybe James says it a, a little bit more fully to get us, give us a sense of what even Paul is talking about here. In James chapter 5, we read, Be patient, he's writing to the community of believers to whom he's writing. Be patient, establish your hearts. <laughs> For the coming of the Lord is at hand. And behold, the judge is standing at the door. And that's the point. And those who are dedicated to God, hope in God. <laughs> they don't need to fight with you because you're being unkind to them. That'll all come out in the wash. Hopefully, you'll repent and get right with God. <laughs> and God won't have to judge. But those who are dedicated to God, hope in God. Why? Because God is good and God is just. And God is near. And God will make all things right. That's why the Apostle Paul. Why is he, why is he, why is he going to be on trial? Why, what did he do? Well, he didn't do anything. Preach Christ. In fact, uh, later on, uh, whose name, uh, Justin Martyr, later on, would make this argument. Some, some, times, some time quite later, in the uh, third century, or second century, late second, sec, late second century, mid second century. Um, this isn't in the notes, as you can see. <laughs> uh, but the argument that, that he made was uh, to the Romans, listen, the Christian community is the best citizens you've got. Why are you persecuting them? Right. 
But the person who's dedicated to God hopes in God because God is good and God is just and God is near and God will make all things right. There will be a day of reckoning and justice will come. In fact, uh, Paul talks about this again uh, in Romans chapter 12 and maybe with even more uh, color and explanation. Uh, Chapter 12 and verse 14, bless those who persecute you. What do you do to people who mistreat you? Well, I mistreat them back. I let them know what they're messing with. You know, you got to fight fire with fire. If you don't do that, the people will step all over you. Let them step on you. Have you ever seen a picture of the cross? Bless those who persecute you. What did he say from the cross? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Repay no evil for evil. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And then he says, verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's what it means when the Bible says, And the Lord is near. So you be gentle and you be kind. And let us see in your life what the mercy and grace of God looks like, even toward his enemies. Someone has written, optimism is the belief that things will always get better. Hope, on the other hand, is the confident expectation that no matter what happens, in the end, good will prevail and God's purposes will be fulfilled. And if you believe that, you don't feel like you have to give it like you got it. So that's the second thing. Those who are dedicated to God, hope in God. Thirdly, those who are dedicated to God, trust in God. Notice again verses 6 and 7. And don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, notice these extremes. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Um, we, we, we seem to, I seem to, make a point as often as I can whenever the apostles are saying something to make a reference that, that it wasn't just something they made up, it's something that Jesus said himself. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, we have the words of Jesus recorded, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or drink, what you shall put on, right? And, and the people to whom he was talking, that's all they had, was what they eat and what they drink and what they put on. In other words, that's Jesus' way of saying everything. Don't be anxious about anything. <laughs> Chuck Swindoll said something interesting. I don't know why this Chuck Swindoll is coming up so much, but uh, he, said for, he said for some reason we feel more in control, about our, uh, in, in control of our lives when we fret about them. <laughs> That's wonderful. I put a little smiley face here. For some reason we feel more in control of our lives when we fret about them. Now think about that. That's the silliest thing, right? Is that, did that make you, did that really bring, did that, does that make you more in control? Because you can't sleep at night? 
The opposite of worry is trust. And prayer is an expression of trust. Sometimes we say this to one another. Let's pray about it. Let's just leave it with God. That Now, that might sound a, a, a cliche to some, but that is biblical wisdom. And we have to decide which way we're going to go. Are we going to worry or are we going to pray? Someone wrote this. This is great. If you're going to worry, don't pray. But if you want to pray, let worry go. You can't dance intimately with two partners at the same time. <laughs> you figure it out. Are you going to worry or are you going to pray? And pray is, prayer is an expression of trust. I'm going to leave it with you, Lord. Right? You have kids, you know, when they're growing up and so on, and uh, I'll take care of that. Are you sure that a... Yeah, I'll take care of it. Trust me. Right? So Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, or as we have it in the New Living Translation, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. <laughs> Hudson Taylor was a great English missionary in the 19th century went to China and what he did to prepare for it and how he handled his finances. He never asked for money. He never made public requests for donations. He said that God's work done God's way will never lack God's support and he never asked for money, interestingly enough. And sometimes it got a little tough. <laughs> but he never quit. And this is what he said. Let us offer up everything to God in prayer. Our work, our plans, ourselves, our loved ones, everything right into the hands of God. And then when we have given everything over to Him, there'll be nothing left for us to worry about. <laughs> I do that. I mean, this, this has made a great impact on my life. And I'll be in the house and I'm worrying about something and I'll say, Lord, I give you the church and I give you my life and I give you my finances and I give you Linda and I give you Victoria and I give you the house and I just throw it up to him. And then that peace that passes all understanding <laughs> just seems to come. Jesus said a similar thing. Luke 18, chapter 18, verse 1 opens this way. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Don't lose heart, pray. You know, I've got one of these. I, I can't, Linda will have to help me. I don't know who gave me this. It's like a great big die, you know, like, like dice, big die. It's black. It has the same um, six sides like a, like a die does. But instead of having spots that you could, you know, play a gamble with or whatever, <laughs> it has words. And I was cleaning clean things up, and I, I was going to, I put it away, and then I said, no, I need that, I need that out. And the, I have it turned so I can see the word believe. Because <laughs> it says love and give and whatever, but, it, but I have it turned so I can see the word believe. Remember that, remember that, uh, that scene in, in Braveheart, this years, decades now, right? And uh, Robert the Bruce in, the, in this drama had, um, had betrayed William Wallace 
and came back and was complaining to his father. And, uh, and the father said, you know, all men lose heart. And Robert the Bruce said, I don't want to lose heart. I want to believe. I don't want to lose heart. I want to believe. And that's what prayer helps us do. Believe and not lose heart. So, verse 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Supplication, that's a fancy word for telling God what you need. You know what you need, tell Him. And as Lewis, C.S. Lewis would say, not because he doesn't know, he knows what you need. In fact, he, he really knows what you need, things that you would, maybe it wouldn't even cross your mind what you need. But let him know, you get to let him know what you need. Because when you let him know, you are opening your life to him. He sees it, he knows, but you get to open up to him. It's like the, to back to the child again, right? You know the child's lying. <laughs> and the more they double down and say that they're not, the, 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 greater, your, the, the, the greater the split in your heart, it's is breaking. But then when the child comes back and says, listen, I, gotta, I, can't, I can't live with this. I, I did do it, right? right? You knew all along they did it. But it meant something that they said to you that they did it. When we reveal, when we pray. And then this interesting phrase, with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God. What an extraordinary thing. It almost seems like it's out of place or out of order. It's not in the right, not in the right sequence, right? With thanksgiving. Or as the New Living Translation says, thanking God for all he's done. And, but, but, in, but in this sequence, for some of us, it would be a new idea because most of us will, would think, well, the thanksgiving comes when he gives me what I want. <laughs> so why is, it I, why is it that I pray and I tell God what I need with, with thanksgiving? But that's what he's saying. Thank him even while you're telling him what you need. Paul is saying just that, and it's a powerful thing. I remember one in particular time, it just popped into my head many, many, many years ago, and I knew what this said, and so I was saying, God, I'm anxious about this. I don't know how this is going to work out. This is what I need, and I want to give you thanks even now. And the peace of God just, I went back and I was out, I was out and looking over the city where I, I was in California, looking over the city lights. I went back in the house and I had this overwhelming peace. Brene Brown in her Netflix special, I think it's called A Call to Courage, she said one of the common characteristics present in resilient people is the practice of gratitude. One of the common characteristics of resilient people, that's people who just, you can't stop them. One of the common characteristics of resilient people is the practice of gratitude. Or this one, I love this one. It's a little bit, little bit of a different take. 
Some people feel entitled to the things that they have. Others are grateful. And then this person writes, and I know from personal experience that being grateful is a whole lot more fun. <laughs> right? Being grateful is fun. <laughs> being entitled, I don't know. Or someone has, else has written, in the absence of gratitude, what I have is never enough. In the absence of gratitude, what I have is never enough. And so Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And notice the outcome, verse 7, and the peace of God, even before the answer comes, this is a gift from God. Because his answer, by the way, oftentimes will be different than what you're looking for. Because he has something better for you. In fact, after he gives you what, you what he knows you need, you thank God like I have sometimes. Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm awfully thankful you didn't answer that prayer. <laughs> Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart. The word guard is a military term. It's almost like a, like a, <clears throat> a soldier that's on, on, on watch duty to protect whatever it is that he or she is protecting. The peace of God, like a soldier, will guard your emotions. The peace of God, which surpasses all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So that's the third thing. Those who are dedicated to God, trust in God. And then finally and quickly, those who are dedicated to God focus their minds on what is good. Those who are dedicated to God focus their minds on what is good. Notice uh, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace, which is even better than God's peace, it's the God of peace, will be with you. And so Paul says, think on these things, or as we have it in the New Living Translation, fix your thoughts, focus on these things. What things? Paul says, on whatever's true. Think about what's true. I bet, I bet um, if I was to ask you about who's lying and this and that, you could maybe tell me about all the things and tell me what channel you watched it on, right? Think about what's true. Remember what Jesus said, you should know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Think about uh, what's honorable, that is uh, something that's worthy of honoring. Or whatever is just is another way of saying that which is right. Just, justice, righteousness, the right. 
whatever is pure, that is a, a, a thing that's unspoiled and uncorrupted. Sometimes, you know, you talk to some people, uh, pure, that sounds awfully boring. Okay, well, you want me to put ant poison in your water? <clears throat> no, I want the water pure. <laughs> yeah, there's other things you want pure too. Pure is good. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, that is, whatever is compelling because it's beautiful, because it's good. Christ on the cross, dying for his, our sins rather than his own, is beautiful and compelling. In fact, in the Gospel of John, it's called the glory of God. Let me, sh let me show you who I really am. I'm not just a God of righteousness, I'm a God of grace. Whatever is commendable, something that's worthy of recognition and telling other people about, about it. Hey, did you hear about what so-and-so did? Awesome. If there's any excellence, the word is literally, literally virtue. If there's any virtue, if there's any moral excellence, if there's any worthy of, anything worthy of praise, Paul says, think about those things. In fact, just imagine where your head would be if these were the kinds of things that you focused on on a regular basis. Or perhaps you've not noticed that people tend more often than not to focus on what is bad rather than to focus on what is good. Chuck Swindoll wrote a piece called Attitude. I must have typed this up decades ago. I've been putting this on the wall and churches and sharing it with staff and so forth and so on. But this is about attitude, what my, what my mental focus is. This is what he wrote. It's really good. In fact, if you want a copy, you can email me and I'll send you one. <laughs> he says, the longer I live, and he's quite an older man now. He's in his 80s. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude that we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the only string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you. You are in charge of your attitude. Interestingly enough, one of the things that, we, that might be said about the Apostle Paul is that he had an extraordinary attitude. And so he challenges us to follow his example. Notice verse 9 as we conclude. And what you have heard and learned and received and seen in me, practice. Don't just admire me from a distance. Do it. <laughs> and the peace of God will be with you. 
Someone once said that faith is like a muscle, and the more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. If you like, Paul in our text has given us four exercises to strengthen our faith. Joy, hope, trust, and a mind focused on what is good. Or if you like, four characteristics of a life dedicated to God. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. It's all good stuff, Lord. <laughs> and I can't take credit because I'm just looking at it and commenting on it, but it comes from you, even as we read in the Scriptures that the Spirit of God moved on the prophets and they spoke and it was written what they said as the Spirit moved them. And so such is revealed, and it is our privilege to hear it and think about it, and then, by your grace, to do it. Help us to do the things that we've talked about today, not only for ourselves, but for your glory and for the benefit of those around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.